The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. I'm Craig Carton and every week from 9.30 to 10 on Saturdays, we have a frank and open conversation about gambling addiction. This show by no means is encouraged to tell you not to gamble. It's to just make you aware that about 10% of the people that do gamble on a regular basis wind up having a gambling problem. That problem can lead to prison. That problem can lead to financial ruin and a lot of things in between. Joining us as always from 1-800-GAMBLER is Dan Trelaro. He's the Assistant Executive Director. Dan, as always, good morning and thanks for joining us. Good morning, Craig. Thanks for letting us be here. Sure. You know, it dawns on me that tomorrow are the AFC and NFC Championship games. Two weeks after that, of course, we got the Super Bowl. And then March is around the corner, March Madness. Do you guys see an uptick when you have big sporting events like the championship games tomorrow or the Super Bowl in a couple of weeks? Yes, we do. We start to see the uptick occur at the start of the NFL season way back in September, and that's when you have multiple sports going on at the same time. And then as we move through the football season, we start seeing the numbers level off in terms of, of handle and number of people calling, but then it starts to spike again before the championship games and especially around the time of the Super Bowl. I saw a story yesterday that New Jersey reported that there was $20 billion wagered in the state of New Jersey over the last year. What are your thoughts on that? Well, we know the handle is extremely high. We know for the month of December it approached a billion alone. Um, and, and, and the numbers are really high. We're seeing high handle, which also translates into more phone calls to our 800-GAMBLER helpline because there's always a, a small percentage of those folks who are experiencing gambling-related harms. As a result of sports betting legislation and the high numbers of people wagering the high handle, our helpline has never been busier. Yeah, and I'm glad the service is out there for people. 1-800-GAMBLER, of course, is the phone number. You know, it's interesting. I know full well if I smoke a cigarette, I have a chance of getting sick, maybe even lung cancer. I know full well if I drink a fifth of vodka, you know, four days a week, I'm going to build some type of uh, addiction, you know, and become an alcoholic. But I never knew that if I played blackjack three times a week or five times a week or five hours a day, that it was an addiction. And I think there's a lot of people that are now gambling maybe for the first time because there are people that do live their lives trying to obey the law who say it's illegal. I'm not going to do it now that it's legal. I am going to do it. And a percentage of those people have no concept that they're going to walk themselves into a danger zone. Right. Yeah, you know, gambling is, is, is tricky because it's an intermittent reward schedule. Every so often a person wins. It's something perhaps they've grown up around, something that's uh, societally, uh, societal uh, acceptance, uh, culturally accepted in some cases, and you don't see the immediate effects. You know, when, you, when you're drinking or consuming alcohol or narcotics, you can overdose, you can pass out, you have a visible withdrawal signs. Gambling doesn't really have any of that, and that's what makes it so tricky and, and why people think they could just continue to uh, participate in that activity. So uh, last week we talked to a buddy named Phil whose uh, you know, gambling game of choice was horse racing, 
And uh, I thought it would be important to bring a woman on the show today and a different discipline of gambling. So Rita joins us. Uh, she's down in Florida right now, and her game of choice was a slot machines. And before we bring Rita on, Danny, you and I have talked in the past before. You know, I was amazed when I went to rehab, and in the room with me, there were you know almost as many women as men. The addiction does not know sexual boundaries at all. It doesn't. While we know people of all race, color, creed, background can struggle with an addiction of any kind, we know gambling is no exception. And and the only comment on that is that while people of all of those um, backgrounds will gamble, people gamble for different reasons. You know, we tend to think and know that female gamblers tend to be an escape gambler, where male gamblers tend to gamble for action. It doesn't mean that's always the case, but those are the tendencies that we see. And that's helpful for understanding when we talk about the types of games, the reason people are playing, just to kind of get a better picture of the person to help them along their recovery. Well, let's say hi to Rita now down in Florida, who's nice enough to join us this morning and share her story. Rita, good morning. Uh, Welcome to Hello, My Name is Craig, and thank you for sharing your story with us. Good morning. Thank you for having me me. You know, slot machines was your thing, yeah? That is very true. And when did you first start playing slot machines? Probably in 1993. Was there an attraction to it? Did you happen just one day randomly be in a casino or did you go specifically looking to play? I went specifically looking to play uh, and I, okay, here's what happened. I was with my husband and he said, let's go to Atlantic City. And we went to the Atlantic City casinos. And the first minute I walked in, I was hooked. I was hooked. So I sat down at a slot machine. And and within maybe 20, 30 minutes, I hit a jackpot. And then it was all over. I was hooked for sure. Um, my ex-husband used to say that the best, the worst thing that could happen is that you could win, and I did. So I got the fever. I would go to Atlantic City a lot. I was in D.C. at the time. Sure. Yeah, Dan. Dan, we've talked about that before in the last couple of weeks. I've often said if I had lost this very public. Your wager I made at the blackjack table, I'm not sure if it would have gotten to the point it got for me. That's a story that resonates with a lot of gamblers, right? Yeah, Craig, we hear that a lot. When people call our 800 Gambler Helpline and even just speaking around the state, we often hear that someone's problem started one of two ways. It either started at an early age, right, early exposure. Phil was talking about that last week. And or they experienced a big win early. And, and, you know, we've said before that a big win, it's not always – doesn't always have to be monetary. It can be spending time with a loved one or a family member, someone you look up to, and you're spending time with that person. And in a child's eyes, that's a big win, spending time when time is such a precious commodity. But oftentimes we hear that jackpot, that early win, and then we start chasing that rush. We chase that dopamine rush, chasing that feeling to experience that again. So, Rita, you win that first time, and then how often did you start going back to play? At first. It wasn't much because, you know, from D.C. to New Jersey was a bit of a drive. But then when I was working at the headquarters of a world church organization, uh, I would go more often. uh, And I had a friend who was a compulsive gambler like myself who had comps and all those kind of things. So we would go up there at least once or twice a month. 
All right. And then did it get to the point where you were wagering money you couldn't afford to lose? And uh, walk us through kind of the depths of how far it got for you. Yes, I did wager more than I I, I could lose. Um, and it got to, at first, going to the ATM at the casino was abhorrent to me because you had to pay a $3 fee, and then I had to pay a fee at my bank. And, you know, I said, I can't do this. So I would hit my bank account for the best that I could, and then that would be it. And sometimes when I took money out of my bank account, uh, and that's before I went to the casino, I would be taking out money that I really should have kept in there for bills or, you know, other responsibilities, like gas for my car to go to work. Right. But, and then... I would not even worry about those extra fees in the casino because I just wanted to gamble some more. I just, you know, so I would get money using that. Then after I couldn't take any more out for my debit card, you could take money out from your debit card, excuse me, as credit. So I started to do, I started doing that. Then, uh, for a small percentage, so they say, I started using checks and writing checks, knowing that the money wasn't there yet, but it was going to be there before the check hit the bank. That's before everything was just instantaneous. Right. And uh, I would write checks. And the you know wait till payday, gotcha. so that checks would be covered. What was your rock bottom moment that made you say, "I got to go get some help"? When I wrote checks for money I didn't have and wouldn't have in the bank. And how did you that get was caught? My rock bottom. Your husband caught you, or the bank caught you, or both? Neither one. I caught me actually. Huh. I knew that it was going to be a problem. And uh, I, there was nothing I could do about it. I talked to the bank, and we worked something out. But as far as the check cashing people, that was another story. Got it. And I never, ever, ever had written a check for money I didn't have or knew was coming. Never, ever would I have considered that. And when I came home, I said, I wrote checks for money that's not in the bank. And the strange thing is I won the money to cover the checks, both of them. Hmm. But I just had to gamble away. I think I walked out with 27 cents in my pocket. Wow. And that's all the money I had. All the money I had. Talking to Arita, who's a compulsive gambler. How many years have you been clean now, Rita? Uh, I'm going almost 11. Wow, congratulations. That's great. Thank you. I came in in March of 2010. Do you miss it? Do I miss gambling? Yeah. When when I first came in, maybe for the first three or four years, yeah, I missed it because I loved gambling. But then I told people that gambling isn't like an abusive lover. 
you know, I love gambling, but it doesn't love me back. I'm going <laughs> to. Because sometimes it helps and sometimes it doesn't. Hang tight right there. We're going to take a quick break. Talking to Rita, a compulsive gambler who played slot machines until she had 27 cents to her name. And Dan Trelaro of 1-800-GAMBLER. And I hope you're enjoying the program this morning. We'll continue right after this. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Welcome back now to Hello, My Name is Craig. Dan and Rita on the line. Rita, before we let you go, can you walk people through how hard it was for you to ultimately stop playing slots? It was gut-wrenching. It was almost as if I were coming off a drug. Uh, my body wasn't happy because I couldn't satisfy that urge that I had. And uh, sometimes I would be sick to my stomach. So it was really, really uh, hard on me and hard on my body. Walk me through, if you don't mind, you know, one of the things we hope that this show does is reaches to reaches out to people who don't have a problem, but have a loved one who has a problem, a son, a daughter, a brother, a sister, etc. Did anybody in your family ever approach you and say, Rita, you got a problem? What's going on? Do you want to talk about it? Why are you gambling so much? Did anybody ever call you on it? Well, a person that called me on it wasn't a family member. It was my best friend. She had a brother who had been, you know, uh, who is also an addict. And she told me, you are an addict. And because I was telling her how I wanted the money to pay for uh, this apartment I was moving into. And she said, you're an addict, Marguerite. That's my given name. And uh, I just just ignored that. You know, I didn't think that was me. I didn't think I was one of, in quotes, those people. Right. But I am. <laughs> I'm one of the, in But quotes, I wonder, you know, I did the same thing. I had loved ones come to me and ask me if I had a problem, wanted to talk to me about how much time I spent playing blackjack or talking about it. And I denied it, told them they were wrong. I'm not one of those people. Same exact thing. What made you ultimately say I am one of those people? Uh, I guess when I started with a fellowship that uh, helped. Well, you know what? It's even before that. When I when I wrote those checks, that's what helped me to realize that I have a problem, and I'm one of the people that I. Uh, denigrated before so that's when i believed and started that i was one of those people and i called the helpline for florida was there ever a point where you said all right i'm done i'm gonna quit and then you quote unquote fell off the wagon and went and played again did that happen along the way in a manner of speaking yes i was seeing a therapist and uh, she was telling me if I gambled, then there would be monetary consequences. So I didn't gamble while I was seeing her. And maybe for a few months after that, then I was right back in it again. 
Okay. Right Dan, back in it again. Dan, I'm assuming that's the norm, yeah? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. Just listening to Rita, you know, we often hear that someone's returned to use, and, and we're mindful of language. Language does matter. You know, when we talk about being one of those people, I think one of the things we're trying to accomplish, Craig, also is reducing that stigma, and having shows like this helps to reduce stigma, because it's okay to be a part of a group, right? If we're one of those people and we embrace who we are, then there's comfort and there's support and there's compassion, and oftentimes return to use starts before that bet is placed. It's those behaviors that start to return before the physical act of gambling starts to return. It could be missing a meeting. It could be making one less phone call each week, not doing the little things that helped along the process or the route of recovery. When those start to disappear or drop off, that's when you really have to be careful because that return to gambling could be right around the corner. I tell you, that resonates the most with me because I did that. You know, there were times I said, I'm going to prove to you I'm not a, an addict. I'm not going to gamble. And invariably, of course, I went and I played blackjack. I even shared the story while going to rehab did change my life for the better. And it allowed me to come to terms with the fact that I am a compulsive gambler. I still had enough of an ego to want to prove to myself that I could go into a casino and play blackjack responsibly. And I couldn't. But I still did it. I still tried. Uh, now, I'm fortunate. I don't have 11 years like you do, Rita, but I have more than two years now without w- making a wager. And I feel great about that. But I did, man. I went to rehab. I took ownership of having a problem. And then I said, you know what? I still got to prove it to myself that I can do it. And I went two more times. You know, that's what I did. Yeah, I think that's that's interesting because we often do see that with people in early recovery as well, to say, okay, I've got this thing under control. I understand more about myself. I understand more about the addiction, and that's all fine and good. But then there's this little com- the thing in our brain that says, i got to prove to myself that I can do this X, Y, Z thing. But we really don't have to. We just have to kind of – that's the whole premise is just kind of give it up, right? Just let it go. And, and give it to that higher power or the power of your understanding, whoever it may be, just let it go and start embracing this, this, this path of recovery and finding ways where the gambling no longer fits in instead of trying to keep it out of our life. But, you know, the, as, as you say that, I'm thinking just about my own life experience. And, it, you know, the words make sense. They make sense to me now because I'm not gambling. But while I was gambling those words would have made sense because gambling became such an important part of my life where everything revolved around it that it was it would not have been easy to just say, okay, I recognize I got a problem, let me stop. It wasn't. You're 100% right. That's why I was just glad to hear when Rita, when you asked Rita the question about, you know, who approached you or had you real, realize it, and she said, when I'm writing checks with no money in my account, that's when I'm realizing, hey, there's something going, going wrong here, and there's something I shouldn't be doing. And I think we, we kind of understand that in our brains. We kind of understand what we're doing just doesn't quite line up. But the powerful pull of addiction is, is just so amazing and so strong that it makes us do things that we never thought we would do. Rita, if you don't mind me asking, did you uh, have any other addictions to go along with gambling? Like, did you gamble more when you drank, or when you drank, did you go gamble? Did you uh, do any type of drugs in addition to uh, gambling, if you don't mind me asking? I don't mind. Uh, actually, no. But one thing that would happen is I am I have diabetes, and 
I would think that it was okay to keep gambling at that slot machine if I drank a Coke because, you know, it had sugar in it. Wow. And that instead of going somewhere to eat like a sensible person, I couldn't leave the machine. So when they came around with the drinks, I would always ask for a Coke. Wow. That's but uh, as far as other addictions, I guess you could say I have a food addiction. Yeah, me and you both, me and you both. Before I let you go, <laughs> um, what's the longest amount of time, if you had to guess, you ever you ever sat at a machine and didn't get up? Ooh, I'm taking a guess. I would say at least four hours. At least four hours, probably more than that. Got it. Well, listen. Stayed at that one machine, and I didn't go anywhere. Just out of curiosity, what, what, what's the thought? It's a lucky machine. The machine pays out more than other machines. What, what's the mental process of how you picked the machine? I won there before, and I know how it works. So I thought... <laughs> And I'm going to stay here because this machine is going to, you know, reward me. And sometimes it did. Got it. But then the reward got spent all over again anyway. There were times at the beginning of my gambling, I could walk out with money. But that very soon just disappeared. Where I, you know, I couldn't walk out if I had a good size when I, I couldn't walk out. I had to stay there. Yeah, I, I know that story well. I know that story well. Well, listen, Rita, I really appreciate you spending a few moments with us uh, this morning to share your story. Congratulations on the nearly 11 years of going without making a wager of any kind. And thank you for sharing. I do think stories like yours help other people and will hopefully uh, make other people think about their actions and maybe get some help before it's too late. So thank you so much. Well, you're welcome. And again, thank you for having me here. Sure. Dan, I'm going to continue on with you here. Uh, what she said is interesting to me. I, I've told this story before. I think I told it last week. You know, I had a casino host once come up to me and tell me, Craig, it's okay to walk out with our money. You know, we got plenty of it. And here's a, the notion of the addiction where I call it an all-or-nothing gambler. Either I'm taking all their money or they're taking all mine, but I'm not going to stop gambling until I have to go. Exactly. It, it, there's no in-between. And, and that's a, a telltale sign of someone who's experiencing a problem along the continuum. When it's all or nothing, it, it doesn't happen like that. It usually ends up bad for the gambler because the house will usually end up keeping all that money. And, and that's, that's where you can see the trickiness of gambling, right? A person with a gambling problem is not going to, to pass out at the table. They'll pass out because of, say, alcohol uh, misuse or other narcotics, but a person with a, a gambling problem puts nothing in their system, and they can just keep going. I know you've chronicled falling asleep at the table and waking up, and and still gambling. But but the the problem gambler just continues to go because they know every so often they're going to win. That's the nature of gambling is that intermittent reward schedule. So it's hard to walk away when you feel or expect a win right around the corner. Yeah, I've told this story. I was uh, eating edibles that night, which is why I fell asleep. I woke up and said hit and won a $10,000 hand. You know, like it was nothing. And while I don't talk about money a lot, I did share this story, I think, in the documentary, so I'll say it again. You know, in uh, about 12 hours, I was up 
$1.5 million up. Net profit up $1.5 million. And in the next 24 hours, I lost all of it. So at one point, if I had walked out the door, I walk out with a million five in profit, and the next day I walked out with nothing. And that's what I say, you're an all-or-nothing gambler, because I just wanted to keep gambling, so that's what I did. And that's where it, it goes back to the point where you said it, it's, it's an emotional issue. It's not about the money, and that also drives home the point you mentioned earlier about wanting to go back and prove to yourself. Like, I, I've had success at this activity in the past. If I can just figure out a way to control it, then I'll be okay. The problem is, for the problem gambler, there is no way to control it. Dan Chilaro, 1-800-GAMBLER, always joins us. If you have a problem, if you think you have a loved one that has a problem, pick up the phone and call 1-800-GAMBLER. Every call is anonymous, even if it's just to ask a question or two to try to get a sense of what's going on in your life or a loved one's life. Dan, any last words you want to give to the folks who might want to pick up the phone or have not yet picked up the phone but are contemplating it? Yeah, our, our helpline is available 24-7, as Craig mentioned. You know, we are staffed, and, and it, you know, it's a, it's a great call. You know, you call up. If you have a question, pick our brain. Ask some questions about what you're seeing. There's so much marketing. There's so much gambling expansion right now going on around the country. Pick up the phone and call. You know, sometimes a little bit of information goes a long way. And I should mention, uh, Dan and I are both, uh, you know, honored that a number of you have already made that call as a result of listening to that show and uh, that makes us feel good that we know what we're doing is a good thing. And hopefully, uh, I don't want to overstate it, saving lives, but saving f- people from uh, the inevitability of being a problem gambler and what that brings to your lives. So we do uh, appreciate the fact that you are taking uh, our message uh, the way we intended to be taken and are using that phone. So thank you for that. Dan, as always, thank you. Next week, we're going to talk to a retired judge who had a gambling intervention program, and they're going to hopefully bring that to New New Jersey. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Dan, thanks so much. You have a good weekend as well. Thanks, Craig. You too. Hello, my name is Craig. Saturday mornings, 930 to 10. Evan Roberts is next. We'll see you Monday afternoon at 2. And of course, next week, right back here on WFAN. Thank you for allowing us into your homes this Saturday morning.